All right. I'm going to tell you a story that I stole, not telling you who from. You're lying on like a sandy tropical beach, similar to this one, uh, which hopefully will come up, Callum. Uh, you're lying on this sandy tropical beach, um, <laughs> basking in the sun, I know, relaxing. And this lifeguard runs up and says, Don't worry, I've got good news. I'm here to save you. And you're like, man, you're crazy. I don't need saving. Until he tells you about the tsunami that's coming and it's about to hit. And suddenly him and his helicopter look like very good news. I think that's a bit like Christianity. It's a message of good news and a saviour. But so often... um, People are enjoying the sun and the sand of life. Don't really realise that there's a problem. um, And so they don't see how good the news is. and see why they need saving. They don't understand how good it is to be saved. They don't understand um, how good all the things that come from being saved are. And so that's why I am pumped to get into the book of Romans this term. Um, Martin Luther, this old dead dude... um, which is a good description of him. Um, also, the guy like changed the course of history because he was a smart guy as well. He called the book of Romans purest gospel. Purest gospel. And, and the word gospel means good news. And here's what he's saying. In Romans, the good news of Christianity is explained most clearly out of the whole Bible. Um, which means it, it goes through from kind of start to finish. We're going to see um, why we need saving. We're going to see what being saved means. We're going to see what comes from being saved. It's going to be a good term. Um, and so I'm, I'm pretty keen for it. I'm, I think it would be a good term for you to bring your friends along as well. Uh, Martin Luther also said this, Romans is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word by word, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can be never read or pondered too much. And the more it's dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Man, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm loving that we're doing Romans. And the other thing you see in the book of Romans, I reckon, is the love of God. Um, massively on display. And, and in fact, so big, sometimes you can't even get your head around what Paul's saying. You're like, man, Paul, what are you talking about? And you can't get it, which just reminds me like, that God's a lot bigger than I am and, and I have to work really hard to understand him. So be prepared to work hard in Romans, but it's going to be worth it. I just wanted to get you guys pumped for Romans. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get stuck into it. Let's go. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. We love it. It's precious to us. Lord, I pray that you'll speak to us right now. You'll speak through me. God, give me strength. Give all of us strength and and help these guys to concentrate. Help them to understand what your word has to say, to see the good truths in it and to change the way that they see themselves and see life through it. God, do a miracle and speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, is there a way we can get rid of that echo? No? Okay, cool. Enjoy the echo. Right, well, let me ask you a question. What defines you? I'll tell you a bit about my story. When I was in year seven, I can distinctly remember sitting at the back of a classroom, um, having one of my friends saying to me, moly, 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 (laughs) moly. See, I don't know if you've noticed this, you probably have. I've got a mole on my face. He, I did, in year seven I discovered this. and um, No, I knew it before then. But it was about the same time that Austin Powers came out and there's this scene in it 
You might have seen the movie. If you haven't, don't waste your time. But there's this scene. He's like, moly, moly, moly. It was a bad time to be in year seven, a funny-looking kid with a mole on his face. And so that was kind of, in year seven, how I defined myself as the funny-looking kid with a mole on his face. Like, literally, that's kind of, it made me really uncertain about who I was and whether anyone would like me because that's how I defined myself. A bit later in high school, here's what I defined myself by. I was a nerd. All right? I was in the chess club. I was in the debating club. I was a nerd. Now, I want to warn you guys, be nice to nerds because they win. Um, they take over the world. They get the good jobs, which means they get the girl. And so in the end, the nerds win. So if you're a nerd, power to the nerds. If you're not a nerd, be nice to them. And that's all that I have to say. <laughs> no, not really. But I was a nerd in high school, right? The other thing that I'll tell you what I reckon defines me now, okay? I reckon now I'm, whoa, I'm tempted to be defined by what people think about me. I'm tempted to be defined by what people think about me because I am a person who likes to be liked. And so I, <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I'm a person who likes to be liked. And so what defines me is what everyone else thinks about me. So that's who I was. I was the funny looking kid with a mole on his face. I was the nerd and now I'm the person who likes to be liked. That's what defines me. I want to ask you, what defines you? Are you the cool kid? Are you the rebellious kid? Are you the sporty kid? Are you the nerdy kid? The surfy kid? Are you the kid with all the friends? Are you the kid with not many friends? This is about you, not the person sitting next to you. (laughs) I want you to really think about that. What words would I use to describe me? Not good enough? Or maybe good at stuff? Um, would I use you know, musical, arty, the party guy, um, messed up, hurting? What are you defined by? We've all got an identity, a way that we see ourselves. And I'll tell you what, it really matters. It really matters for our happiness. It matters if we want to not waste our life and actually do something that matters with our life. And I'm going to explain why that is in a little bit. Hey, come on, if you just bring me down a bit, that'll be all right. Yeah, that's good. Okay, now, that's where we're going, what defines us. Because right at the start of this letter that Paul's writing, he introduces himself. Um, Paul's a guy writing a letter, and he's also introducing the people uh, in Rome, the Romans. Now, I don't know if you notice this, but the way someone introduces himself tells you a lot about them. So if I say, hi, I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from such films as... If that's the way that I introduce myself, that tells you that my name's Troy... I love myself and I'm, I think I'm a good actor. That's kind of what you can pick up from, from that. Well, Paul's doing a similar thing in the start of Romans because he's never been to the church in Rome, okay? But he's writing them a letter. Now, I don't know, who gets, who's got a letter lately? Not many. I love it when I get letters. It's so exciting. I get them like once a week. I get a letter once a week and when I get it, I always look to see who's it from. I'm trying to guess from the envelope, rip it open, look, try and work out who's it from, what do they want from me, is it legit, is it a scam, do they want my money? That's all what I'm trying to work out. Well, Paul's never been to Rome, um, so he's writing to them. He's going to pretty quickly have to back up who he is. And so that's what he's doing here. He's, he's, he's actually defining himself. 
and then he defines the Romans. And what we're going to see is as Paul defines himself and then he defines the Romans, we're going to learn how we should define ourselves. So here's the first thing we're going to see. Paul defines himself as a servant of Christ on a mission with a message. Paul defines himself as a servant of Christ on a mission with a message. Have a look at verse 1. Get your Bibles out. Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Here's the first thing he wants them to know. I'm a servant of Jesus. Jesus is the master. He's in charge. He calls the shots. And I'm a servant. I do what he says. Not just a friend of Jesus, not just a son or a daughter um, of God. I wonder if that's how you, how do you define your relationship with, with God? Are you someone who would say, like, I'm saved by God? I'm, I'm a friend of God? I'm a, a follower of Jesus even? Would you be prepared to call yourself a servant of God? A servant of Jesus? And that's actually crazy in Paul's culture. Because um, in Paul's culture, everyone was competing to see who would be the highest, who would have the highest rank, the most honor, the, the best position. Actually, it's pretty similar to our society. And, and so Paul starts by saying, I'm a servant. A servant of Jesus, but no, I'm a, I'm a servant. And the next thing he goes on to say is, um, more about who he is, he's a man on a mission. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Now, the word apostle means a sent person. It implies that there's a sender and a person who's sent and a purpose, a mission that they're on. And, um, and so the apostles were like a band of these people, that, the disciples that Jesus chose to be his witnesses. And you can actually see what his mission was. He tells you in verse 5, Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people... From among the Gentiles, by the way, that word Gentiles means nations, like everyone who's not a Jew, to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. So here's his, here's his mission. It's given through him, him being Jesus. Through Jesus, that's who he got the mission from, and for his name's sake. See, the mission is has a goal that Jesus' name is lifted up, that people see how amazing he is, that he gets the honor he deserves, that he gets glorified. It's all about him the fame of his name. That's the goal of the mission, but here's what the mission is, the job to call people from among the nations, to go out to, to all the people all over the world and call them to Jesus and to the obedience that comes from faith. To say to the nations, everyone on the earth, believe in Jesus and you'll get eternal life. Come to him, believe in him, put your trust in him. It's not about what you do, it's not about earning it, just believe in Jesus. And then live obedient lives that match that faith. That's Paul's job. And you will notice there that it, Paul thinks it's pretty obvious that obedience comes from faith. And I'll tell you why that is. Because Jesus is the Savior King. People say, I received Jesus as my Savior. Okay, did you receive him as King too? Because you can't just, like, like someone knocking at your door, hi, I'm here as the Savior and the King. And you're like, cool, I'll take the Savior bit. No, you can't do that. Jesus is Savior and King. So you either receive him as Savior and King or not at all. That's why faith in Jesus always leads to obedience. So there's a question for you. Have you received Jesus as Savior and King? 
or just one or just the other. You've got to receive Jesus for who he is, the saviour king. Um, and so if your life isn't changed, you're not saved. If your life isn't changed, you're not saved. But there's the mission that Paul's on. To go to the nations, to say, believe in Jesus. Get eternal life in him and then live lives shaped by that, obedient to him. That was a cool mission. Hey, when I was little, I always wanted to be like a spy. I would read spy novels. I don't know if you've heard of them. Hardy Boys books. Some people will have. <laughs> and I was like, man, I'm going to be a spy. I think I read every single one or like lots of them, hundreds of them. But after a while, you realize they're all the same story. They get a job, like someone comes into the case and then they're like running around getting car chases and shooting at people and getting shot at. And then finally, um, they get this, every single Hardy Boys book, I'm about to ruin them all for you. They get captured. And when they're captured, the person tells them who did it. And then they escape and then they go to the police and tell them. Every single book, exactly the same. Irrelevant, but there you go. I always wanted to be a spy because spies have a cool mission. Well, I reckon Paul has the coolest mission of all. Everyone wants to have a mission in life. Paul has a cool one. It's to save people eternally forever. One last thing to see about Paul. He says, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. In other words, Paul is a man on a mission with a message. Because the word gospel means good news. It's an announcement. Gospel is hearing, it's a boy. Well, that might be bad news to some of you, but for a lot of people that's good news. Gospel is, you passed all your exams. Gospel is, the surgery's gone well, he's going to live. Gospel is, I found 50 bucks. Gospel is, I got the job. Gospel is, I won the lottery. Gospel is, there's a world tour coming around to the Central Coast and it's Usher, Pink, Rihanna, Pitbull and One Direction. (laughs) No? I thought you must have liked at least one of them. (laughs) There's One Direction for the losers and then everybody else. (laughs) Avicii's coming. That's gospel. Avicii's coming. (laughs) Gospel is good news. It's an announcement. And you learn a few things about what the gospel is from this passage. Not everything is going to take like the next five or six, eight chapters to explain it all. But he kind of gives you some pretty big things that he wants you to know about it right up front. Verse 1, it's the gospel of God. It's God's gospel. Verse 2, it's the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. God's been promising this gospel for a long time. Number 3, it's God's long-promised gospel about Jesus. Have a look at verse 3, the gospel, verse 2, blah, 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 regarding his son. So the gospel's about Jesus, which, by the way, I reckon sometimes surprises us because we like to think the Bible's about us. The message, the good news is about us. You're a sinner. You can be forgiven. You can have eternal life. You can live forever with God. You, you, you. No, that's man-centered. The Bible's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Our lives are about Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. So it's about Jesus. And number four, the gospel is God's long-promised message about Jesus that he's the king. Have a look at verse three. Regarding his son, as to his human nature, he was a descendant of David. Now, that's important because in the Old Testament, God promised David, who was the king, that his descendants would rule forever. 
And so Jesus is that guy. He's the promised king. Number five, the gospel is God's long promise message about Jesus the king that is the son of God. Have a look at verse four. So he's, he's, been, he's a human, he's descended from David, but through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. See, this is what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. It proved that he was who he said he was. God declared, yes, you are my son. It was like a big rubber stamp saying, yep, true, that's my son. He's risen from the dead. No one else can, like, I'm not just going to go raising people from the dead all over the place. Um, I raised him because he was special, because he, he taught that he was the son of God, and I raised him, declares, yep, that's right. He's the son of God, which means, by the way, I don't know if you're, like, someone who's wrestling with, is Christianity true or not? That could be because you're a Christian, you've always been around it and you're wrestling with that. That's a good thing to wrestle with. Or maybe you're new to it and you want to know, is this stuff true? Did Jesus rise from the dead? That's where you've got to start and end, I reckon, your investigation. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, man, he's no ordinary person. God's real. You've got to listen to what he says. So there's what you should investigate. Because I reckon there's really good historical evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. But number six, the gospel is God's long-promised message about Jesus the King, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lord. There's the last thing right at the end of, chapter, of verse 4. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, the, the word Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, which is unhelpful because that's also not an English word, which means um, chosen one, promised one. And so here's the gospel, or at least what you could pick up from this bit. For a long time... God has been promising to send a king, his son, to be the Messiah, the Lord. That's at the heart of the, me- the gospel. The king is here. There's the message. The king is here. The one we've been waiting for, the saviour king, who amazingly also is the, the one who died for us to save us. How amazing is that? The king, the one we've all been waiting for, The Son of God died. And you may not know this. The reason Jesus died on the cross, why? So you could be forgiven. So you could come back to God. And that's what Paul is going to unpack in the next few chapters of Romans. But there's the message. So that's how Paul defines himself. He's a servant of Christ. On a mission. With a message. And so do you see how Paul defines his life by the gospel, the good news? See, the good news is about a king, so he's a servant. The good news is a message that saves, so he's on a mission to take that message. Do you see how the gospel is shaping Paul's life? Now, here's my question. Is that how you define yourself? Now, we're we're not Paul. There's some pretty big differences, uh, and so we've got to actually be careful we don't just take everything that the Bible says about Paul and apply it to ourselves, because Paul was an apostle. We're not apostles. But if you look through the the rest of the New Testament, you can find that the New Testament says we're servants of Jesus. So that's there. And you can also find the New Testament calls us to take this message on a mission, maybe in a slightly different way to an apostle would do it because we don't have the same authority as an apostle. But the two things are still there. Servants, we're called to be servants. And on a mission with a message, we're called to be that as well. So the question is, do you define yourself by the gospel? 
The gospel is Jesus is king, so I'm a servant of Jesus. There's a message that needs to be proclaimed because it saves, so I'm on a mission with that message. Is that how you see yourself? And I just want to zoom in on one. Are you a servant of Jesus? I reckon that's crazy. That's the first thing he tells them. It's like it's the most important thing that he wants them to know. It's like the biggest thing in his mind. My life is not mine. It belongs to Jesus. Because I reckon a lot of people play a game with themselves. We like to think we're Christians, but we're not Jesus' servants. So here's a question. Here's a test. Do you listen to him? Because it'd be a funny kind of servant who's like, yeah, I'm a servant of so-and-so. Um, or I do what he says when I want to, if I want to. That'd be a funny kind of servant. So guys, to be a Christian is to be a servant of Jesus. Do you listen to him? Where in your life aren't you listening to Jesus? You know what he wants you to do. You've seen it in scripture. And you're not listening. Turn and listen to him as his servant because he's the master. But maybe it's possible you haven't yet become a servant. You haven't handed over control of your life to him. You're the master. I'm the, I'm the servant. That's something you need to work out. Paul defined himself by the gospel. He was a servant of Christ Jesus on a mission with a message. Now I want to quickly show you two things about the Christians who are in Rome. Um, and because those things apply to us too. Particularly because Paul's writing this church to all the Christians in Rome. We'll see this in verse 7. And if he's running it to all the Christians the whole city, you can be pretty confident it applies to all Christians in any city. Um, and, and you'll see that as we go through. So verse 7, here's what we're going to see, that the Romans are defined as people who are loved by God and called to be saints. Have a look at verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Two things there. Number one, they're loved by God. Think about that. Loved by God. If you are a Christian, you are loved by God. Stop and think about it. Like I think we hear it a lot, but like just stop and think about it. The God of the universe who made everything, who holds atoms together, who invented blue, like the God who the God who rules everything, um, He loves you. Who cares what anyone else thinks? Who cares what your friends think? Who cares what your parents think? Who cares even what you think? The God of the universe loves you. You are more loved than you will ever know. With a crazy Never stopping, never giving up, what's and all, I accept you, I love you, 100% love. If you're a Christian, you are loved by God. Number two, he says they are called to be saints. Now tell me, what do you think of when you think of the word saints? I think of like that picture I put up before, like an old dead person, I don't know, with like jewels in my head. Probably not. I don't know, like a saint. is an old, really old, super good, dead person. Now look at this. Look at verse 7. Just look at it. Who does he say is a saint? Just a few people? 
to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Who is it? It's everybody. All Christians are saints. This is crazy. This is crazy. Turn to the person next to you and say, uh, Hey, Saint Daniel. <laughs> you don't have to do it, but it's fun. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's been quite a long hey. <laughs> I heard a lot of Hey St. Daniels, <laughs> but I meant you could say anyone's name there, like the person next to you. <laughs> shh. Shh, 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 Lots of New Testament letters and see exactly the same thing. The writer of the letter just says to all the Christians, to the saints. They're one and the same thing. Now, why is that? Because the word saint means holy, pure, clean. Okay, it's the same word, holy and saint, same word. And so here's what happens if you become a Christian. Jesus makes you clean. He forgives you. His blood washes away all your sin. You become holy. But number two, he doesn't just say, okay, now you've become clean. Go on and live in mud like you used to. He says, no, come and follow me and do good, not evil. Do pure things, right things, not destructive, harmful, evil things. So here's the thing. Every Christian is both holy because Jesus made him holy and called to be holy. Your identity, if you're a Christian, is you're a saint. You are a saint. You're holy and you're called to be holy. That's the definition of every Christian. Now, you want to know what God wants for your life? People are like, I want to know God's will for my life. What decision should I make? Well, I'll tell you God's will for your life. Here it is. You're loved by God and called to be holy. There's God's will for your life. Be holy. Live a pure life. Avoid sin. Do what's right. There's the definition of every Christian, right? Loved by God, called to be holy. That's how every Christian should define themselves. Can you see them coming out of the gospel? In the gospel, we see God's love for us. Jesus died on the cross and he's made us holy. So we're defined by the gospel. Now here's, I want to put all this together and I want to ask, is that how you define yourself? There's two sorts of people here, right? Guys, there's two sorts of people here. There are people who are Christians, and you need to believe what the Bible says about you. This is your identity. This is what defines you, and start to live it. And then there's people who aren't Christians, and here's what this is. This is what God's offering you as an identity. And I'll tell you why it matters. I'll tell you why what you define yourself as matters matters because of two reasons. It affects your actions and it affects your happiness. Okay? This is why who we define ourselves to be is crucial to our life. Okay? Number one, because it affects our actions. Because we act like the person that we think we are. 
there's a, there's a theory in psychology called labeling theory. Um, and this is what the theory says. It's that when you give someone a label, you cause them to act like that label. I mean, think about it. If you've ever like, seen little kids, when one kid gets labeled the naughty kid, they start to act like a naughty kid would. They actually start to become more naughty because it's what people expect of them. Um, and so it starts to become what they expect of themselves. And so they... Are you guys right? Do you want me to stop and you guys can talk? Okay. Um, they start to act like a naughty kid would because they, they expect that of themselves. And I think you see that with kids, but it's true of all ages. Our identity affects our actions because we act like the person that we think we are. So, for example, you start to think, I'm not very good at stuff. And so you start to expect yourself to fail so you don't put in as much effort because it's not very motivating to expect to fail. And so then you don't try as hard and you lower your standards, which means you actually don't do very well. And so then that confirms what you thought about yourself and not very good at stuff. And so then you, know, you lower your expectations, you don't try as hard, and it's a bit of a cycle where your identity is affecting how you act and then that's confirming your identity and you end up, yeah, man, I'm not very good at myself. Can you imagine how it would affect your actions if you thought of yourself as a worthless person or as an unlikable person? Or as a rebellious person. Man, you see that all the time. I'm a rebel, so I act like this, which makes me a rebel, so I act like this. And Man, if you see yourself wrongly, you will act wrongly. You'll do stupid stuff because that's what you expect yourself. Now, guys, we've only got one chance at life on this planet. We want to use it well. We want to do the best we can. We want to make wise choices. We want to be happy. And so, guys, it's essential that we define ourselves rightly. That's why, because it affects our actions. But number two, because it affects our happiness. And I'll tell you two ways this will happen. Way number one, because we'll define ourselves in a way that makes ourselves feel bad. For lots of high school, I define myself as the funny-looking kid with a mole on my face. Not the greatest thing to think about yourself, and so I felt bad. Lots of us, I think, carry around definitions of ourselves that make us feel bad. Not good enough, worthless, guilty, broken, stupid, uncool. If that's how we define ourselves, um, that, that's going to make us feel bad. But there's actually another way that it all affects our happiness. And here's what it is. Even if you define yourself as something that makes you feel good, it's going to let you down. Either because that thing won't be big enough to, to satisfy you, to fulfill you, and to make you happy. Or because it does, but it doesn't last. Uh, and, it, and, it, and we lose it. For example, if I was to define myself as the guy with lots of friends, um, either of those two things will happen. Either I'll make it and I'll have lots of friends and it'll just let me down. I'll just get to the end of the day and I'll just, you know, I get up, I, I go through my day, but uh, at the end of the day, so what? What's it all for? People like me so? It's not enough. And you only have to look at like celebrities to see this. Like, you know, you get to the top of being liked only to find it's empty. It doesn't satisfy us because it's not enough to give meaning to everything that we do. You define yourself by surfing or popularity or money or being good at stuff. At the end of the day, it might take you a little while to work this out, but at some point you'll just stop and realize, is that it? Is that all my life is? And you've chosen a definition that's not big enough to make you happy, to make sense of all that's in your life. 
That's even if you get there and you get to what you define yourself as. But I'll tell you what happens more often. The thing that you think will, will define you doesn't even last. See, I'm a, I'm a, say you think I'm going to be the popular person, but pretty quickly, like, nah, not everybody likes me. Maybe even everyone turns against me. Um, or I'm a sporty person, but I get an injury. Um, and I'll never be able to do that again. Or whatever it is, chances are it's something that won't last. Um, and then when it doesn't last, your life falls apart. And man, I'm only five years out of school, um, and I've already seen it so much. People define themselves as this thing or that thing, and then that crumbles, and their life falls apart. So guys, it matters how we define ourselves. It matters because it affects the way we, we act. It matters because it affects um, the way we feel and our happiness. And so this is where we need to come to grips with it and go, how do I define myself? Does it lead to good decisions? Does it leave me feeling full, satisfied, meaningful? Is it big enough? And does it last? Because here's the thing. In the Bible... God offers us an identity that is true, that is big enough uh, to make sense of our whole life and to give meaning to all that we do, Um, an identity that leads to making good decisions and the fullest life possible because, yeah, it's a hard life, but it's a good one because God knows what life's about. And in the Bible, we see uh, a picture of life that, um, that doesn't depend on anything going on around us. It's called the gospel. And so here's the big idea of this this talk. We need to define ourselves by the gospel. Yes, I'm a sinner. That's obvious. But I'm a saved sinner. I'm a loved sinner. I'm a clean sinner. And I'm, I'm a called to be holy sinner. And so here's what we need to learn to do. We need to learn to listen less to ourselves to listen less to our friends, to listen less to our culture, maybe even to our parents. And we need to learn to listen to what God says we are. Read your Bible. Listen to God's voice telling you the truth about who you are. And not just half-truth. I think we have a habit of focusing on the, the, the half that confirms what we already think about ourselves. No, read the whole thing, get the full picture, and then believe it. That's your identity. That's what defines you. That's who you are. That's what you're like. That's what your purpose is. And so guys, let's learn to listen to what God says about us. And the full picture of it is found in the gospel. So here's here's our identity. We're a servant of Jesus Christ and called to be holy. That's where our actions come from. That's why we, we, we make good decisions because God's way is the best way. We're loved by God. That's where our worth comes from. doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about me. I'm loved by God. And that's big enough to satisfy me. That's big enough to make sense of my life. And as well as that, I'm on a mission with a message. That's where my purpose comes from. That's why my life matters. I'm a servant of Christ. Loved by God. Called to be holy. And I'm on a mission with a message. Guys, let's learn to be defined by the gospel. Let me pray that we'll be doing that.
Father God, thank you. Thank you that you love us with a, an amazing love that you demonstrate when you, you gave up your own son for us. How loved we are. God, I pray that we would all start our identity there, that we would define ourselves as one who's loved by the creator of the universe so that we won't care what other people think about us. God, I pray that we would also define our identity and, and who we are by the phrase servant of Jesus so that we would live for him as master doing what he says to do. God, please um, help us to see ourselves as people who are holy and are called to be holy so we don't feel guilty because you've made us holy. Uh, and we also uh, don't you know, go living uh, in, in stupid, destructive, sinful behaviours because we're called to something different than that. And God, I pray that we would see ourselves on a mission with a message so that we would realise that every day counts and we have a purpose. God, please let us listen less to uh, what everyone else is saying about us and more to what you're saying about us in your word and help us to believe it, God. Shape us by the gospel. Amen.